Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. We are Unsportsmanlike, presented by Progressive Insurance. Along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. You can listen to us on ESPN Radio, all of our great ESPN stations across the country, Sirius XM Channel 80, the ESPN app. Happy New Year, everybody. Just for today. Not for tomorrow. Just today. There you go. Just today. <laughs> Just today. That's it. Not tomorrow. That's Not it. Not the next you day. You don't even think we could do it all week? Because you're no, going to see people... Small- Today that you or you might not see people today. You may see them tomorrow or Thursday, and they want to extend a New no, Year's greeting to you. No, CC. Smalls, because where does it end? Where does it end? It just goes on in perpetuity, plus or minus one day around actually January first. That's it. That's all you got. So New Year's Eve, it's fair game to say Happy New Year. January second, it's okay to say Happy New Year, and of course on January first, if it's other than those three days. You're out of pocket. You're wrong. You shouldn't do it. Because now everybody else feels obligated to respond with Happy New Year, even though we're probably weeks into the new year. I'm tired of it. Just because this is the first time that I'm seeing you doesn't mean I have to wish you a Happy New Year. Just saying. Just throwing this out there. Okay. Yeah. Uh-oh. Not that it gets on my nerves or anything. I'm no, just putting I'm just, it out there. Just throwing this out there. Is no. there an argument that for the, the we commit, CeCe's going to hate this but laugh simultaneously, is there an argument that we commit for the entirety of 2024 that every caller on the Dr. Pepper call-in line has to start their call with Happy New Year, guys? I kind of love it. No. <laughs> like in September, I, small, small. somebody calling in about the 24-25 NFL season. Happy New Year, guys. Just wanted to talk Harbaugh and Herbert. And literally every call must start for 2024 with Happy New Year. I kind of love you, it. You all are being bad teammates right now. <laughs> Y'all are being bad teammates. Or great. This is not how we want to start 2024, guys. I'm just throwing it out there. No. No, I I think it's kind of a beautiful sentiment because every day is a new day and we're expressing that we can turn the page, we can start over, we can start fresh. And it's just a well wish every day from from the callers and the Dr. Pepper call-in line. No, 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 <laughs> no, period. no. And next time Pat does, I'm over it. We have to include this as a part of it. This is ridiculous. Just saying. Just no, saying. No, right. no. Uh, Joe Test with the call Starting there here on ESPN Radio <laughs> of Michigan's 27-20 victory over Alabama in overtime in the first college football playoff yesterday. Michigan was up 13-10 at the half. Their pass rush was dominating Alabama. Five sacks in that first half. No points by either team in the third quarter. Alabama special teams were excellent all game long. Um, and it goes to overtime. And in overtime, 27-20 after Blake Corum scored a touchdown for Michigan. Alabama has that final play, fourth and goal from the three-yard line. Jalen Milrow, not on a run-pass option, just runs up the gut, gets stuff there. They had center exchange problems all game long on the shotgun snaps. Michigan, of course, advances to their first national championship with Harbaugh as their head coach after losing in the semifinals twice. Everybody is sitting here debating whether or not that last play was the right play call. CC, I know there was another series during the course of this game that you think actually weighed in more 
than what we saw with Alabama in overtime that affected the, the result of the game more so than that overtime play. Yeah, I mean, it was the two drives that Alabama had when they were up 17-3. to three. Like, the one drive ends in the Jalen Milrow fumble, but then their defense is able to get a stop, forced a missed field goal that was, I think, 50 yards longer, wherever it was. And then you've got the ball, and you're at the 30-yard line. You have an illegal substitution penalty that backs up five yards, and then you take a sack. Those sequence of events is what left the door open for Michigan to go on that 75-yard game-tying drive at the end of the fourth quarter and ultimately led to the demise of Alabama with Blake Corum being able to run the football in for a touchdown in overtime for the go-ahead points. Those things don't happen by Alabama. If they manage those two drives better, then all of a sudden it's it's a non-story, and we're talking about the SEC in Alabama um, you know, going to the national championship game against Washington. So to me, it doesn't come down to that last Jalen Milrow run in overtime. It's that sequence of events in the fourth quarter, which Alabama didn't take advantage of the miscues from Michigan. Yeah, we're always going to boil it down to that final play because that's the last thing we saw before Michigan wins is that Jalen Milrow run. But this win tells me more about Michigan than it does Alabama. I mean, Alabama is an outstanding team. They have a lot of talent. They have arguably the greatest head coach in the history of the sport. But the fact that Michigan can go into that game with all of those miscues that they had and still come out with the victory, still in the biggest moment in overtime, find a way to punch it in, find a way to make that big stop, that tells me so much about this Michigan team because if you would have said before the game, if you would have outlined all the miscues that they had, all the special teams problems that they had in this game, you would have said there is no way that they're going to be able to beat this Alabama team and a Nick Saban coach team. And they did. They walked away with the victory. And I think that, that we should give them props today. Yeah, I mean, they definitely deserve the props. I still think that that final play call meant something. And I think that the problem that I had was not that Milroe was running because that is your best option. I mean, it almost seemed like their best plays were designed broken plays. And I know that sounds odd because a broken play cannot be designed, but it it almost felt like when everything kind of fell apart, that's when Alabama was at their best with Milrow just taking off. I just don't understand schematically, CeCe, and obviously you're better to speak on this than anyone, not having a running back in the backfield initially. They they flexed them out there and not running a run-pass option because at least that would stall the defense slightly, and they didn't do – like I have no issue with Milrow getting the ball. I have an issue with how they went about formulating that run. Well, I don't even think you need the running back for the run-pass option. I just think you got to get Jalen Milrow on the move. And you saw them had success in the second half by being able to move the launch point on some of the passing game stuff. I, I thought that was the biggest adjustment that Tommy Reese made was being able to move the pocket for Jalen Milrow to get him away from the blitzing that, that defense from Michigan was doing in the first half. Remember, that defense from Michigan blitzed 17 times. They had nine pressures and five sacks. So five of their six sacks happened off of blitzes, and they had five sacks in the first half. A reason why all of that pass rush production for Michigan went down was because Alabama's offense moved the launch point. So it surprised me that in that situation, they wouldn't try to move the launch point. They wouldn't go with the sprint out and give Jalen Miro the option of being able to use his legs, but then also to throw it to one of those receivers to get it into the end zone. So to me, that was a, a, a missed opportunity or – uh, I guess something that you can criticize the approach from Nick Saban and his coaching staff, but they didn't make a mistake because I thought they didn't make a mistake in who they trusted because I thought in that moment, it has to be Jalen Milrow's game. It's just that the team came up with a bad play call and ultimately the team fell short. And all of this leads to Michigan and Washington. And we'll get to the Washington Texas game in just a little bit in a national championship game. I think all the pressure is on Michigan here. They've had a head coach suspended twice this year. 
They have the Connor Stallion situation, and they have the hiring of, let's call him super agent Don Yee, who's produced a lot of money for a lot of people around the NFL. Jim Harbaugh goes out and hires him. We know the Chargers are going to be interested in him, and this very well could be his last game by choice, potentially, or by logic, which is, are we going to be on probation? Or is the NCAA going to come down on us for any of these things? Do we think this win yesterday, guys, moves Harbaugh closer to the NFL? I do. I absolutely do. And, and we had Peter Burns on in the 7 o'clock hour, and he said that he didn't think it was material to what happens with Jim Harbaugh. And I think it changes things when you're talking about a coach that wins a national championship jumping back to the NFL. We know that Jim Harbaugh is a good coach. He's coached the team in the Super Bowl. They've been in the college football playoff the last few years in Michigan. I mean, everybody knows it, but to have that national championship on his resume, to be able to win the big game, I think that matters in terms of the price that he could command from an NFL team, right? Right now, the high watermark is Sean Payton. I think he's making $18 million a year. I think it's absolutely on the board that Jim Harbaugh can usurp that if he wins a national title and decides he wants to go to the NFL. Yeah, it may change the overall asking price, but I don't think the win yesterday really shifted the barometer that much for him to leave because if you hire Don Yee, you're clearly looking into this in a very serious manner and you're you're registering your options. Of course, it's easier for you to walk away if you deliver a national championship to your school. It's a it's a fairy tale ending for you to be able to after the confetti falls, decide to walk away. But I think that the win probably doesn't shift that decision that much. If, if he hires Don Yee, it seems like all signs were already pointing that way prior to last night. Yeah, I think that he still has one more win, though. Like, if you look at how much pressure is going to be on Harbaugh, you go through all the stuff that they've went through this year, and a lot of it, obviously, is self-created. Like, they're the ones that employed Connor Stallions. They had the recruiting stuff, whatever it is, which I don't even understand how you can have recruiting violations in today's day and age in in college football, but I guess they did. That I think when you look at this scenario, like, you have to win that next game. And so last night's win gets them to the place where he can leave on a high note. If you go out there and lose against Washington, and then you go to the NFL, and then the school is put on any kind of probation or there's any kind of penalties there with that or any kind of investigation that goes further— Harbaugh's not leaving on the best of notes like he would if they win. Like, if you think about this, I'm not saying that Michigan fans are ever going to turn on this guy, but play out the scenario where Michael Penix Jr., who was unbelievable last night, 430 yards, two touchdowns, the game comes down to the final play, Texas comes back after being down two scores, the incompletion on that final play with one second to go, Quinn Ewers and company come up short 37-31. But if Michigan loses to Washington and he goes to the NFL, the aftermath at Michigan is going to be a mess. And he's not going to be a part of it, and they're not going to have a championship to show for it. There is something towards last night getting him to that easier place of leaving. Yeah, I, I would agree with most of what you're saying. The other thing that I think is worth note uh, and worth pointing out is that Jim Harbaugh has flirted with the NFL for each of the past couple of offseasons. He's interviewed with teams. Him you know, flirting with the NFL is nothing new, but I'm just wondering how much more does the NFL have to offer him in comparison to what Michigan is willing to pay him in order to get him to leave Ann Arbor? Because we are talking about him coaching at his alma mater. You know, remember, he played for the legendary coach, Bill Schembechler, at Michigan. You know what I mean? So th- there is something to being a Michigan man and getting his team to the national championship and having the program in the current state with with being the preeminent program in the Big Ten based on their dominance over Ohio State. I, I'm just not sure 
that that's something that he's just going to run to the NFL to just because they're going to play him a couple of million dollars more per year. There needs to be a material difference in terms of what he can make at Michigan versus what he can make in the NFL. And I think that's what hiring Don Yee serves to do. It's ratchet up the pressure and the urgency on both Michigan and on the teams that could potentially be suitors in the National Football League and then seeing where it lands. But again, it's going to be a huge contract. In order for him to go to the NFL, in my mind's eye, he's got to be the highest paid coach in the sport in the NFL. And in order to get that type of price tag, I think it's going to take him winning a national championship. I think he's going to get a bag whether he stays or whether he goes. He's obviously going to make a ton no of doubt. money. To no me, doubt. To me, it's beyond the money. It's which situation feels more enticing. And even though Michigan is playing for a national title, he's got the program in a, in a great spot. The landscape of college football is ever-changing, and they do yep. have a lot of other stuff facing the program after the game on Monday. And I think he's probably looking at the NFL. As you mentioned, CeCe, he's interviewed in recent years. He's had a lot of success there. He's been to the Super Bowl. He's a guy who knows what he can do in the league. His asking price to go back to the NFL was always going to be high. But I think he's looking at these coaching openings. He's looking at some of the talent out there, the, the opportunity to coach somebody like Justin Herbert. And I just think... I think right now all the stars are aligning for him to go back to the NFL. I don't think there's any question about that because we're, we're playing out the best-case scenario for Harbaugh if he leaves, which is you win a title, you leave on a high note, you join Justin Herbert, and you live in Los Angeles. <laughs> that, and you make, and per CC, $20 million a year, hypothetically, right? Hello. Yeah, that sounds amazing. The downside, though, is something we're not as much considering, which is you get to a national championship, you lose – you get suspended twice. You have all kinds of you know drama and saga hanging over you with investigations and potential penalties, and you're not there to suffer those penalties for which actions you created. There is a downside here to Harbaugh as well. He is a phenomenal coach. He's going to win no matter what. But how he's viewed by the Michigan fans, I still think, is dependent on what happens on Monday. All right, we're going to pause this conversation. We'll continue it coming up. Plus, we'll get into the other game, Washington and Texas. Does the committee look good? We never actually compliment the committee, right? <laughs> the people like referees, you never compliment. And I know the NFL, we shouldn't. But the college football playoff committee, not exactly the most praised group of people. I think we have to do so coming up. It's on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus, Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. We are Unsportsmanlike. 
Presented by Progressive Insurance, bundle home and auto and save. Visit Progressive.com for more information. Along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. ESPN Radio, ESPNU. So the other half of the national championship, we got Michigan. We got Washington, 37-31. We got undefeated against undefeated. Texas and Washington were tied at 21 at the half. Washington 21. Washington took a 34-21 lead in the fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden, Texas comes back. The score is 37-31. Texas gets the ball at their own 31-yard line with 41 to go, 41 seconds to go. They get all the way down to the Washington 13, fourth and 11, one second to go. Incomplete pass to end the game, as Mark Kestesher called it on ESPN Radio. Michael Penix Jr. was unbelievable in this game. 29 of 38, 432 touchdowns was just awesome. And he leads his squad to a title game against Michigan. We know Caleb Williams is going to go number one to the Bears, or at least we think he's going to go number one to the Bears. We've seen Drake May. We've seen Jaden Daniels in the mix in terms of the top three, four, or five picks in the draft. I mean, is Michael Penix Jr. making his way all the way up? Could we see four of the first five as quarterback? Do, do we think, CeCe, he could go that high up in the draft after a performance like that? Ooh, do I think we can live in a world where there are four quarterbacks taken in the top ten? I do. Now, I will say this. The, the top three T teams are in, in the draft order right now are quarterback needy because you've got the Chicago Bears, you've got the Washington Commanders, and you've got the New England Patriots. So I think all three of those teams will be in the quarterback market. So you you could see quarterbacks go off one, two, three, and then there are going to be some teams that are in the back half of the top ten in the draft order or the, the early part of the teams that are going to be looking for quarterback help. So could I see one trying to trade up into the top ten to get Michael Penix Jr. after last night's performance and his complete body of work? I don't know why we wouldn't see that. The guy was absolutely phenomenal. He was 29 or 38 for 430 yards, uh, multiple passing touchdowns. But the thing that was the most impressive about his performance is that he didn't miss any throws. I mean, it was one throw that he missed in the second quarter to Devin Culp, their tight end. That would have been a touchdown. Kid comes back on the very next play and throws a dime to Jalen Polk for a touchdown. I mean, it just – he, he, he doesn't miss throws. He doesn't make mistakes with the football. And his overall playmaking is, is something to be lauded for. So I think there's going to be a team that falls in love with the tape from Michael Penix Jr. Even though he doesn't have the athleticism, the elite level athleticism of some of the other quarterback prospects, because he's got really clean tape, I think they'll fall in love with what Michael Penix Jr. is doing, especially the fact that he's quarterbacking his team to a national championship game. I absolutely think his draft, draft stock just keeps con- rising, continuing to rise. If I could talk on January 2nd, it's continuing to rise. And in this season, in this draft, after everything we saw with quarterbacks going down and quarterbacks being so important, backup quarterbacks being so important in the NFL this year, I could absolutely see the first four or five picks going uh, with quarterbacks. But it says something when you can step up and have a performance like that on that type of a stage. And Michael Penix Jr. has been outstanding all season long. He, he was in the Heisman conversation all season long, obviously. But for him to be able to continuously lead Washington to games when they're counted out, when they're underdogs, he steps up and delivers. And for him to be able to do that last night, a performance like that, as CeCe mentioned, 430 yards, for him to do that in, in the playoff, if he can do that again in the national championship game, he's going to leapfrog some guys in the draft, draft order. So, the other part of this is that when you look at the playoff rankings, you have in the, in the national championship, you have two undefeated teams that are power five conferences, obviously, in Michigan and Washington. Florida State, now this is not 100% fair, but the team that they put on the field lost by 60 points to Georgia. 
The team they put, so however you want to spin it, the team they put on the field lost by sixty points. That's a good way to phrase it. Well, that's that's what it was, right? I yeah, mean, that's the team they put on the field. Does the committee deserve praise, or do we look at the Georgia angle and wonder mm, they lost to Alabama, but are they better than Alabama? Like, how do we look at this now in terms of the committee? Because you got two undefeated Power Five teams in the national championship, and they're the only two left. I thought the committee got it right. I thought they got it right. I think they come out looking aces in this situation over the entire weekend, even including the Georgia-Florida State game. Now, I get it. You know, Florida State didn't have their quarterback. They didn't have all of their you know, star players. But, but still, you lost by 60. The game wasn't competitive. So I, I don't know that all of those guys would have made a material difference in terms of the overall outcome, even though the game might have been a little bit closer. And then you look at the playoff games that we got in the semis, all of them, both of them came down to the, the final play of the game. So I, I think it's absolutely a great call by the committee. And, you know, I think it, it gives more credibility, more validity to whoever's going to be holding up the national championship trophy at the end. I don't think it's going to be marred in any controversy. Now, all of that being said, I'm excited that we're moving to a 12-team playoff next year so we can have less of this conversation and less downtime in between when the end of the regular season for college football stops and the beginning of the bowl games that matters begins. Yeah, I don't know how you could look any better if you're the committee right now. And I know that Florida State didn't put out the Florida State team that we saw all season long, but the result still stands. And when you have the four teams that you selected over them and the four teams you selected over Georgia have the two games that we saw last night, as CeCe mentioned, go down to the final play, you can't look any better than that. They got it right. There's no way that you can argue that they got it wrong. Maybe Georgia can have an argument, but Alabama won that game. And they took Michigan down to the final play last night. So I think that the committee got it right as much as uh, we hemmed and hawed and debated over if they did or not. I think the, the results last night speak for themselves. So let's do it this way, just to play devil's advocate for a second and asking a question, because I agree with what, you're, what we're all saying here, but just to play it out. How many of those teams that we saw yesterday in neutral site like we did would we say Georgia would beat? I couldn't put them over Michigan the way Michigan played. But but I mean, how can you how, how can you you can't put them over Alabama because they they played in a neutral side a few weeks ago and Alabama won. So. Right. So would you put them over Washington or Texas? I don't I don't know, man. Michael Penix Jr. is so good, and those receivers that he's throwing to are going to be first round picks. I. I so maybe and they're maybe, undefeated. They're maybe, undefeated. Yeah, maybe and, and, Texas. And, and, yeah, but I mean, but but you lost to Alabama, and Alabama lost to Texas. Yeah, I, you know, I know we can do the whole what aboutism thing. I I just think that the committee got it right based on the resume and based on the actual, you know, you know, conference champions. I I think they actually got it right by putting Alabama in, rewarding them for winning the SEC, and leaving Georgia out. As much as it sucks for Georgia, and as good as they've been all year, they didn't win their conference championship game. So I can understand why they wouldn't be in that whole mix, and the other teams did. So I just, yeah, I think the committee absolutely got it right. So just for fun on this, how many of the four teams would FSU be able to beat? Zero. Zero. As currently constructed? (laughs) I mean, you thought FSU should have been in. How many teams, based on watching them in their biggest of moments yesterday, and obviously the FSU team we saw against Georgia would not have been the same FSU team we would see in the national championship semifinals. How many of them do you think they would have beaten? Yeah, it's hard to say that they could have beaten any of those four teams. Right. So what we're saying is maybe we could have argued, maybe Georgia over Texas, but not even that. So, yeah, the committee got it right. And we're playing the results to some extent, but the committee got it right. 
After all that debate and so many people being angry, it's amazing that we have all arrived at this conclusion. They got it right. Unsportsmanlike presented by Progressive Insurance. Bundle home and auto and save. Visit Progressive.com for more information. Coming up, if you go number one, does it mean that you'll change your franchise for the better? We'll find out next. Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book direct at lq.com this is the unsportsmanlike podcast on espn radio we are unsportsmanlike presented by progressive insurance here on espn radio espnu michigan washington national championship coming up monday night espn espn radio with all of the coverage so our teammate at espn dan orlovsky former quarterback, of course, asked the question on Twitter at Dan Orlovsky 7, how many of the last 10 number one overall QBs flipped their franchise and listed them out? Bryce Young, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Sam Bradford. And Nuno, our producer, brought up the point, well, you could flip it, but the wrong way. I would argue that if you flip it the wrong way, that's actually just continuing what they had already. Yeah, because they wouldn't have the number one pick otherwise. Bingo. (laughs) Bingo. Bingo. So that is an interesting question. So upon seeing that list, because we have all discussed on our show that, and and it's something I've brought up for years, and it's something that, you know, in the first week I think we were on the air, we had the discussion. The key to success in the NFL, the initial key to success in the NFL is find a quarterback that can outperform the contract. Right. Brock Purdy. Perfect example. Right. Patrick Mahomes, even though he's high paid for the most part during his career, has outperformed that contract. Lamar Jackson is outperforming the contract. CC, when you look up and down that list, how many of those number one picks outperform the contract and flip their franchise positively? Uh, I would say four. Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. I think that's the list. I mean, before Kyler Murray tore his ACL, you could maybe argue him. Because he was getting things on the right footing. But, I mean, the fact that it was on the board that the Arizona Cardinals could be in the quarterback market this year kind of takes that away. So I would say that four of the last ten quarterbacks taken with the number one overall pick actually turned their franchise around, which is probably a higher hit rate than most people would have anticipated. Yes, I would have the same grouping. But I also look at some of the names on this list, and I think, were they ever put in a position to really succeed? Just because you draft a quarterback number one overall doesn't mean that he single-handedly can elevate the franchise. Like, I lived through the Sam Bradford era in the St. Louis Rams. Mm, They mm, did not protect mm. him at all. There's a reason he got injured so much. I know the second one was him falling out of bounds, but they did not give him an offensive line. They did not give him the weapons that were needed for him to succeed. Like, I don't know. He had 
had a great rookie year, but I don't know how many quarterbacks could have gone into that scenario and succeeded. Uh, we had this, the, our screen's going on and off here. But anyway, I'm just saying, Baker Mayfield, how many times did he have a coaching change, a coordinator change? He was put mm-hmm. into a volatile situation. There's a reason a lot of these teams are drafting that high and that they don't have successes because they're not a well-run organization. So to me, the better question is, can the quarterback be better than the situation around them? Yeah, what's interesting about this is I obviously agree with those four, but like, and I'm not arguing for these guys. I'm just wondering. If you told the Cleveland Browns upon arrival of Baker Mayfield, you're going to win a playoff game. He's going to be a quarterback that wins a playoff game. That was so foreign to them at that time. They won one game in two years, right? If you told the Rams, hey, you're going to go to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff. They they accomplished these things. They did not turn their franchise around, but there's a level of accomplishment that we're playing the results and not remembering the moment that they were drafted and where the franchise was. This all stems back to the whole Chicago-Justin Fields situation because I think Orlovsky's question is basically, are we sure that drafting Caleb Williams will flip your franchise versus just keeping Justin Fields, and then maybe drafting Marvin Harrison or anybody else that you would draft number one overall or if you want to trade down and stockpile or whatever it is. I think that's where he's going with this, CC. It's probably fair, but I guess my question would be answered – well, his question would be answered with a question of my own, which would be how long do you as a franchise, the Chicago Bears, live with the question of Justin Fields? Mm -hmm. Because now it's three years running. How long do we keep after asking the question, is he a franchise quarterback? Is he your guy? I don't think we've seen anything definitive to say that in the affirmative. So that's that's what would move me toward taking a quarterback. And remember, they passed on last year's crop of quarterbacks that included C.J. Stroud. Before they flipped positions with the Carolina Panthers, the Bears had the number one pick in the 2023 draft. They passed on all of the quarterbacks, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson. They didn't want anything to do with it because they wanted to see what Justin Fields could do in a prove-it year before they had to make a decision about Fields' contract. I'm sorry, he hasn't shown enough to me to justify the opportunity cost associated with having your choice of Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. I'm sorry, I just haven't seen enough. I get that they've turned this thing around. They've won five of their last seven games, and Justin Fields is 4-2 and in his last six starts. That's all well and good. But I think that is more ammunition for the Chicago Bears to flip Justin Fields and get a higher draft pick than it is the franchise being able to validate passing on the number one overall pick and taking another quarterback again in a consecutive offseason and stay with Justin Fields. I just don't think you can do that. Yeah, I, I'm with you, CC. I think that the the chance to take Caleb Williams and what we've seen of him will be too intoxicating for the Bears to pass up. But when I look at Justin Fields, he's shown signs of growth. We know that he's a starter in the NFL. Absolutely. We know that he's made improvements with his arm. We know that he's a powerful runner. They went out and finally this season got him DJ Moore. They've made improvements from a personnel standpoint. I guess I just look at the beginning of his career and I think about the state of the Chicago Bears and all of the dysfunction that was happening for a long time. And I... I put that into context. I I just think it's really hard for some of these quarterbacks to overcome those circumstances. Like, I look at Bryce Young. Do we really know about Bryce Young? Do we really know what type of quarterback Bryce Young will be in the NFL? Because look at everything that surrounded him this year. I don't think it's fair to really cast judgment on some of these guys because of the situation that they're put into. And I think Justin Fields may be in a better position if he does go elsewhere. But 
I just think the Bears can't pass up on Caleb Williams. But anyway, back. I just think the Justin Fields thing in the beginning, it's hard to make a determination on what he could be because of where he was drafted. Yeah, I'm not saying that it was fair to Justin Fields, but Smalls, you know how I feel about fair. It's a place that they judge pigs at, <laughs> right? This is the National Football League. It's about whether or not this player is good enough to overcome all the ills that the franchise has been able to suffer. I mean, Cam, Cam Newton went to the Carolina Panthers. They were by no means the model of – of uh, uh, of being a stable franchise. I mean, Andrew Luck, post Peyton Manning, Indianapolis Colts were absolutely awful, and their general manager Ryan Grigson. That was a bad situation. He was able to come overcome that. Trevor Lawrence had Urban Meyer. He had Urban Meyer, and he was able to overcome that once but he got, they got a Doug real Peterson. head coach. The listen, the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow got cut in half his rookie year, and he was the most sacked quarterback in his second season. But the team went to the Super Bowl again. If the guy is good enough to overcome all of that dysfunction, all of the shortcomings for the franchise, and you would think that a guy with the number one overall pick would be be would have that ability, then yeah, they can get it fixed. But I'm just sitting there saying with Justin Fields. I just think that the opportunity cost is so great. And based on what we've seen from him the first three years, there's nothing that you could point to to justify not taking a chance on Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Jaden Daniels, especially when you consider the salary constraints um, that would be associated with keeping fields versus going with a cheaper option. QB decisions, one of those things in life where if you have to ask the question, you know the answer. Should I send that tweet? If you're asking that question, don't send it. Should I eat that extra piece of pizza? If I'm asking the question, don't eat it. If you're asking, do I have my guy, you know the answer. The answer is automatically no. If you have to ask the question, you know the answer. And if the Bears are sitting there asking the question, do we have our guy, you have the answer. Because like, the Chargers, who don't win, are not actually asking the question, do we have our guy. The no. San Francisco 49ers who do win, who drafted a guy last overall in the draft, know they have their guy. They're not asking the question. The Ravens are not asking that question. The Eagles, despite the poor play in Philadelphia, not asking the question. Are the Bills asking that question? No, they're not. I am, and I'm going to be wrong, it looks like. But they're not. And they've. And to be fair, CeCe, they yeah. never answer or ask that question. But, no, they haven't. They haven't. They haven't. They but haven't. they realize what we realize, which is... It's too much of him. Let's scale back, and he's going to even be better, he being Josh Allen, which he was. right. Mike McDaniel, since arriving in Miami, has never asked the question if two was the guy. Brian Flores did. Mike McDaniel did not. If you have to ask the question, you know the answer. And that does not mean that Justin Fields is not good. It just means that his future with the Bears probably doesn't make as much sense as Caleb Williams' future with the Bears. Because if you have to ask the question, you probably have the answer at the quarterback position. All right, coming up. National championship is set. Michigan and Washington. Paul Feinbaum will join us next. It's on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. We are Unsportsmanlike here on ESPN Radio, ESPNU. Hello, I'm Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper. The ones fans deserve Michigan Washington National Championship game Monday night ESPN and ESPN Radio after Michigan beats Alabama in overtime yesterday 27-20 final play Jalen Milrow runs up the middle gets stuffed and Michigan wins that game and then Washington after having a two score lead Jalen excuse me uh, Michael Penix Jr. has a monster game for Washington two touchdowns 430 yards They hold on to beat Texas 37-31. Texas had the ball with a second to go on a fourth down to try to score and obviously did not. Paul Feinbaum joins us now. Of course, the Paul Feinbaum Show. And he knows college football better than anyone. Paul, how do you look at Michigan? You've had a lot of opinions about them all year (laughs) long. So floor is yours. How does Paul Feinbaum look at Michigan right now? I was impressed, and I think anybody who wasn't uh, is really being disingenuous. Uh, what was so striking to me is that it looked like these two coaches and these two programs reverse roles. Alabama is usually the one that pulls off the, the win at the end. Alabama usually is the one that makes all the right moves. And in many ways, yesterday should have been much worse. Uh, Michigan was snake bit from the beginning. Uh, I mean, literally uh, throwing an interception on the the first play. They they got called back, and then they they muffed a punt, which gave Alabama points. They tried a couple of plays that were really absurd, but Jim Harbaugh was being aggressive. Uh, They nearly nearly blew the game at the end with a safety on another muff punt. And in spite of all that, they still won the game in overtime. And uh, the consensus on the field – in Pasadena at halftime was Alabama was lucky to be in the game. And uh, what was even so remarkable is after that, Alabama really had the game in control and they threw it all away. It's just so unconventional to to watch a Nick Saban team self-destruct. And and Paul, to that end, I mean, how concerned are you with the, the shifting landscape in college football, NIL, transfer portal, conference expansion? How concerned are you about Nick Saban potentially being viable and competing to win another national championship? Well, I'm, I'm really not that concerned uh, because uh, what he did this year was, was, was at times miraculous. Uh, but, he, but he did come up with a game plan three, three and a half, four weeks ago to beat what I thought was the best team in the country in Georgia. And they may still be, at least in the conversation, for the best team, but, but no one's going to care about them now. Uh, so I, I don't – I mean, he's adapted. Uh, he had the, the second-best recruiting class in the country. Uh, he's got – he, under, he after a slow start, he's figured out NIL. And right now, the most important thing in college football is, is figuring out NIL. Because if you don't pay top dollar for the top players, uh, you're not going to be in the playoffs. Paul, 
one game, or excuse me, the game doesn't come down to one final play, but everyone's going to be talking about the final play to end that game last night between Michigan and Alabama. What was your assessment on that play call to give Jalen Milrow the ball? Well, I, I mean, I think not to get too technical here. I mean, it, to me, it looked like uh, it was going to be a pass uh, to, to the back out of the backfield. But when the when the center for about the 20th time in the game uh, snapped it low, Milrow, instead of pausing, panicked. Uh, and he, he ran into a brick wall because he's been so successful at that. And I think he just assumed he could do it again. So, I mean, I blame Milrow uh, because I, I can't imagine that the play call uh, – was exactly like what we saw, and I know, I know there was a it was a run pass option, but in but in the end, the the offensive coordinator is responsible. That that's that's Tommy Reese. He came he came over from Notre Dame. He played played quarterback uh, against Nick Saban, ironically, uh, tw- eleven years ago in a national championship game for for Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, and you know he had a terrible start to the season. I mean he he didn't like Mil- Milrow from the beginning. Uh, he tried to bring in Tyler Buckner uh, from Notre Dame. And when when that South Florida game, the week after the Texas game, self uh, when it's when they Alabama just blew up and almost lost to a, a terribly inferior team, Saban said we're going back to Milrow. And and what happened then was Milrow's offensive line started to play very well. Last night they looked exactly like they did at the Texas game when when Alabama lost by double digits. And that that's really that that and the inability of Alabama's defense, which has been elite all year long. Uh, to get any penetration, to make any really significantly big plays, uh, really gave Michigan the, the advantage across the board. We are on Sportsman Like here on ESPN Radio, along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. Paul Feinbaum joins us. You see him and hear him, SEC Network, Sirius XM, Channel 81, 3P to 7P Eastern every single day. Paul has given Michigan a ton of credit here, so I want to preface this when people jump at whatever is about to happen next here. You said previously <laughs> that if Michigan wins a title, you think it would be tainted. Do you still believe that? I don't, and uh, this is not – I'm not being a typical politician, flipping and flopping, but but I, I'll offer this. I haven't been around the Michigan program all year. My, primarily jo- my primary job is in the SEC. Uh, and being around that program all week in Pasadena, I, I came away uh, immensely impressed with their players uh, and, and their coaching staff. I mean, listen, Harbaugh is an enigma, uh, but that's the way he likes it. Uh, I don't like what I, what I know about that scandal, uh, but I, I think what, what Michigan did, though, in the three games at the end of the regular season and then the, the, the championship game in the Big Ten and obviously yesterday in Pasadena – they they showed they can win without the without sign stealing and I think that has to uh, that has to make an impression. One other aspect of that, college football is is so upside down right now uh, that while you might think about it, uh, you might think in in your own mind maybe it's tainted, maybe it's not. I think the fact that they they beat Alabama, they beat Nick Saban in the grandest stage in the sport is really going to quiet all that down, especially from someone like me. Paul, does the win for Michigan make it more likely that Jim Harbaugh stays at Ann Arbor or that he goes to the NFL? I don't think it matters very much. I think he's leaving. Uh, and all week long, uh, he dodged that question. He gave word salad answers, even last night. I mean, all he had to say was, man, I love this team. I wouldn't leave this team for anything. That's what you would expect a coach to say, by the way, before the national championship game. He didn't say that at all. Uh, and what was really interesting in leaving uh, Los Angeles uh, very late last night, I took a look 
at uh, what was na- what is now today's Los Angeles Times and the lead column on the sports page. I'm just sugge- I'm just giving you a, a snapshot of how they feel out there. He was literally begging Jim Harbaugh after the win to take the Chargers job. Uh, I mean, so I think Jim Harbaugh has to see that today uh, on his way out of town going, I'm welcome here. Uh, I know I'll be welcome at the Bears, maybe the Raiders, uh, the Panthers probably would give me anything. Uh, I don't know what my future is at Michigan because of the, not because of Michigan, but but because the NCAA. The NCAA doesn't care who wins the national championship. They're, They're still coming after Jim Harbaugh. Paul, if he does go to the NFL, do you think it will be after a national championship win? What do you think about this matchup between Michigan and Washington? Well, I do like Michigan. Uh, as it, it, It's really too bad, and uh, a lot of the country went to sleep. I was fortunate or, in, or unfortunate. I'm, I'm on a plane, so I, I was able to see it. Uh, at, it ended at 12, I think, 47 uh, A.M. In, in the Eastern Time Zone. That's a late. That's late for a college football game. But it was it was magnificent, and the real story uh, will be overlooked. The fact that Washington nearly blew the most improbable game of all time. Because had they lost, that 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 would have superseded everything we've been saying uh, since late yesterday afternoon about about Michigan and Nick Saban. Uh, but I, I think Michigan is the better team. Uh, Michael Penix is phenomenal. They have a great offensive line. Uh, Texas. Uh, Really had no business losing the game the way they did. But I, I think Michigan uh, is in really good shape next Monday night in Houston. Paul, thank you as always. We do appreciate the time. It was my pleasure. Thank you. All right, there he is, Paul Feinbaum. Of course, you'll hear him. SEC Network, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 81, 3P to 7P Eastern Time. And said a lot. Um, said he no longer looks at the Michigan title as tainted if they are to win it, which is very... It's very interesting how we approach cheating as sports fans. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like the Patriots and Astros are forever tainted in people's minds. Not mine, but in, in people's minds. Michigan is somehow off the hook now. How did that happen? Seriously, how did that, how did that actually happen? They beat Penn State and Ohio State without their head coach, and then they beat Alabama, the SEC Conference champion, in the college football playoff semis. That's how it happened. Bingo. Okay, but if this was another team, the Patriots <laughs> or the Astros, people would look at it and say, are we sure they're not still doing it? Well, there's, I'm just there's a lot of context around that. The Patriots did take the walkthrough of a Super Bowl that they won. Right. It and was of won, the Super Bowl. And they won five more after that. Right, but it was of the Super Bowl. <laughs> five more after that. And the Astros won again after their cheating. It is interesting. We can continue that conversation at some point here. But the idea that Michigan is now, like, people forget that they – Allegedly cheated. We're on Sportsmanlike ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.